Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will encounter a breadth and depth of topics as you go through our archive of previous episodes and see what we have coming up. Please be sure to do that. And also, subscribe to us on your favorite syndication network. You can find us in places like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, and so many others. Chances are you just look us up, you'll find us. Now today, we're going to get a little bit technical here. And this is something that several of our listeners have asked me if I could get into a little bit here on Business Creators Radio. And when we encountered the person we're going to have share with us today, share this information with us today, I recognized we had to have them on Business Creators Radio Show. And this is about controlling your healthcare spend. This is very important, especially as a business creator who who is in a position where they either want to or by law need to provide health benefits to their employees. And to help us break this down today, and I encourage everybody to have a pad of paper and two pens in front of you. So in case one of the pens breaks or your pet runs off with one of the pets, the pens or something like that, you can keep writing down your aha moments. We're going to have on today Allison DePauli, and she's going to share with us on this whole thing of breaking down your health care plan and controlling your health care spend. So just give you a little bit of background. The best employers inherently know that taking care of their employees means their employees will take care of the customers. That's something we've shared many times. In fact, I cover that topic in the R segment of the spring formula inside my book, Groundhog Days and the Vet Not a Business Strategy. Offering a benefits plan that takes care of the employee and doesn't break the bank, well, that's a dream. It can drive higher job satisfaction, improve morale, and help with the ever-present issue of employee engagement. Most employers don't know how to accomplish this, or even that it's possible. Healthcare is a very enigmatic thing without having a guide to draw you a map. And that's where Allison DePauli comes in. She wants every employer she works with to be in complete control of their healthcare spend, driving the maximum value for every dollar and allowing those saved dollars to grow the business in the bottom line. And she'd like to deliver a world-class benefits program to those employees. Now, understanding how to drive those savings while finding a world-class benefits package can be intimidating, which is why people are demanding this topic. Few insurance professionals understand how to get under the hood and tinker to make the plan work better. Any surprise? I mean, every year when I do re-enrollment, oh, I don't know what I'm signing up for at the time. But Allison does, and she's here today to show us how. So, Allison, come on in. The weather's fine. Well, Adam, thank you for having me. Certainly. Now, before we dive in, and as I mentioned a moment ago, this is going to be one of those conversations where it's going to be a little bit more detailed in nature, and I'm going to go by an outline that's going to draw out all the brilliance and passion you have for us today. What I want to do is take a step back. Uh, Some of our listeners may be looking you up on a separate browser tab right now, or suddenly Googling or binging or Yahooing questions about their health benefits or healthcare in America in general or whatever. And this is not a call about that. This is a call about 
breaking down your benefits and helping to provide this as something that's a service to the people who work for you. What we'd like to do is have you take a step back and tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving our business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. Uh, So I come from a family of entrepreneurs, father, grandfather, uncles, cousins. We've all owned businesses of some size or another. So we're pretty steeped in the culture of, of understanding, you know, how important employees and employee engagement are. And when I was a a little girl, which was longer ago than I like to admit, um, my father had a a substantial business, a couple hundred employees, and he paid all the premium for his employees and their dependents. And it was, you know, at that time a pretty low, out-of-cost thing. So that was a pretty rich benefit. And I don't know an employer that can do that today. True. So, I don't know a lot of people can know, do it for themselves, much less trying to figure it out for 20 or more other people. Exactly. So um, lots of family businesses around me. I saw lots of synergies between employers and employees and how when that works well, it's, it's just a, a magnificent thing to see, right? Engaged, productive employees, businesses growing, successful business owners investing in their businesses. Right. And health insurance is, is the second or third largest expense for most employers. Large employer, small employer, doesn't matter. Second or third largest expense. And every year, somebody comes into your office and says, well, here's your renewal. We negotiated it down from 24.8% to 17.2%. You have no idea what it is. You probably don't have any idea why that happened to you. And you either absorb it or you pass it on to your employees. And you pass it on to your employees in one of two ways. You pass the premium on and increase their portion of the premium, or you reduce their benefits plans. And if you're absorbing it, you're probably not giving them a raise. And I would argue that one of the biggest wage problems we have in the United States is not a wage problem. It's a health insurance cost problem. Health insurance cost is eating raises. So forward-thinking employers are – working with advisors who help them get in there, look at what's driving the cost, and applying some appropriate cost containment tools. It's a little bit of work, mostly not for the employer, and but it will help you drive a better plan, and a better plan means lower cost, predictable and repeatable, and better benefits for your employees. Because really, the only way to control the cost of healthcare is to control the cost of healthcare. And the cost of health care has uh-huh. nothing to do with insurance. You know, those are two that's very, very different true. things. That's very, very true. And that's a place where you and I agree. I walk all the time into debates about our health care, especially here in the United States. And you know what I find missing from all these conversations that people are having about how to make sure that everybody gets proper health care and, and uh, what president should be named after and everything else? I say... <laughs> You know, I'm listening to you people going back and forth, and what I'm not hearing from anybody, I'm hearing a lot of you saying which president you like better and you think the healthcare program should be named for. I'm hearing a lot of that. But what I'm not hearing is anybody discussing why it is that somebody in the United States who needs a hip, who needs a hip replacement can fly off to Spain, get the hip replaced, go down to the bullfights, get the other hip gored, get it replaced, 
go through all the therapy, <laughs> take a three-month vacation, then come back and still be ahead versus what it costs to get one hip replaced here in the United States. So who's talking about costs? Not you folks. That's the driver. Until you figure out those costs, all it is is a shell game. Music to my ears. Yeah. So and, that, and I, and I, and I use have... that just by illustration so people can understand what they're up against. Yes. And let me give you another example that might be a little bit more, a little bit closer to home. So right. there are, uh, you know, knee replacements are a fairly common procedure, right? Yep. So the four largest facilities in the United States, the, the largest who do the largest number of um, knee replacements, have a radically different average cost, ranging from about $42,000 to $71,000 in average cost. Okay, and, and they're yeah. spread out among the United States, so so that it's not so much a regional thing as it is a, you know, it's just a percentage of Medicare. Some are 300 and some percent of Medicare. One of them is 550 some percent of Medicare. So there's a pretty big swing there. When you dive down a little further into the data, you'll see that the average is just that, an average. The lowest one right. I was in the low 30s and the highest one was well over $100,000 when I looked at this data. When you apply a quality metric to that, you will find that the highest quality physicians are in the bottom quartile of cost. Now, wouldn't you want the best surgeon to do your knee replacement? But how do yeah. you find that surgeon? That's the rub. So there are tools that you can use now to help find the best quality surgeon at the best quality place and save your plan a significant amount of dollars. I mean, there's a pretty big difference between $30,000 and $100,000. And get your employee the best care possible. Now, not only is that the right thing to do, it will, in, it will improve morale and engagement. People feel cared for. And it will save your plan a lot of money. In my world, $70,000 for a procedure is a lot of money. Yeah. So that's what we help people do. So we help people make sure that their plan is finding high-cost providers when healthcare is needed because the majority of your users are going to the doctor once a year or not using any care at all. So oxymoronically, if you help the people that need care get good, quality, consistent care, you will drive down your cost over time. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the uh, philosophies behind what we call the Affordable Care Act is the idea that it was supposed to give us more of an emphasis on preventive medicine and preventive care by increasing access to routine yes. physicals and some different services. And I, I mean, anybody that studies this objectively without basing it on which president it's named after gets that. And you can look at that system and you can compare it to uh, you know, if you, you want to call it Obamacare, whatever, and then you can compare it to what Trump care actually was supposed to be versus what it was interpreted to be. So now you're looking at three different interpretations of health care, mm -hmm. and none of them would really be all that effective until we look at these costs. But at the same time, right now, we're business creators. And for those of us who have actual employees or uh cross some threshold where we need to provide the benefits whether we want to or not. I mean, there's so many different scenarios here. 
what I'm so glad you're here to help us with today is to get us through this. So I kind of need you to walk me through it a little bit. So uh, I know that uh, you sort of gave us a framework for how we can have this conversation, so I'd like to get started with that now. And the first question is, it goes to the idea of supply chain management. So, Allison, how does supply chain management translate into healthcare and employee benefits? Well, let me ask you two questions. Would you let your employee go buy their own computer equipment? Just give them no. your credit card and let them go? Okay. No. So you're doing that. You're <laughs> doing that. Exactly. You're doing that with healthcare. You're saying, oh, you need care. Here, here's my credit card in the form of an ID card. Why don't you just go find whatever it is that you think you need? Now, I do not think that employers should be in charge of health care. I think that you should farm that out. But there are parameters to making sure that people find their way to quality care. You know, I had an experience with, with a, a partner that I use. Um, they're a care management company, and I had a situation with a family member a couple of years ago, and it was quick and serious and life-threatening. And I had no idea what to do. I thought, well, I'm just going to call. So I called my partner, business partner, uh, vendor partner, and she was like, okay, do this, do this, ask this, let me know if this has happened and call me back. It was so incredibly right. helpful. And I do this for a living, and I didn't know what to do. So imagine if somebody who does accounting or administrative work or builds widgets or paper plates or whatever, how are they supposed to know what to do? Right. So help them get their, find their way to quality care. Your plan will benefit, and so will the employee. So the other thing I would ask is, do you ever go to the grocery store and buy groceries and not know how much they cost? Never. Okay. Well, healthcare. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's to the it's to the point where as I'm putting things in 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 the buggy or the grocery cart, I'm doing rough rough calculations of approximately where I'm at on the cost, and then adding nine percent for the sales tax in my head as I go along. So I'm not surprised when I get up to the checkout. Okay. Well, when you go into the hospital, do you get an itemization of what's going to happen to you and how much it's going to cost? No. No. Okay. It's the this yeah. is the only industry where you hand somebody a credit card and say, go spend whatever you want, and you have no idea what it's going to cost until two months, three months, six months later when all the bills come rolling in. I would argue that some health, that some supply chain management principles should be applied to that so you know what's happening. They're your employees, and it's your money. So get a handle yeah, on that. I, learn what the drivers are. Get the data. Learn what the drivers are. Make sure that the people who need care are getting care. Rationing care does not work. And move on from there. To the next step. So, okay, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. What I'm getting used to with you is it's like it's like Billy Mace. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Ask me your question. No, 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 no. Keep going. You were going to say more, and uh, we're here to we're here to receive your brilliance. Okay. So what I was going to say is, now that you know where the drivers are, so who's utilizing care, who needs care, make sure that they get it, and then make sure that they're getting the best quality care. No matter what you do, high quality care is the best thing you can do for both your employee and your plant. 
So make sure that you're using the appropriate tools. Work with an advisor who will help you work, figure that out. If you don't like the advice you're getting, seek advice elsewhere. Roll it out to your employees. Communicate it to death more than you think you should. I had, I had a boss several years ago who, when I was transitioning a group of people from one project to another, gave me the rule of eights. I wasn't allowed to yell at anybody until they hadn't done what I had asked after eight times. You know what? Okay. I never got to eight. I never got to eight. People need to hear things several times until they're comfortable and feeling reasonably secure in, in how it will help them. Communicate it sure. to death. So often, no, we don't want to do a meeting. We don't want to do this. I get that. It's a pain in the butt. Nobody wants to come. Do it anyway. Do the meeting, and then there are some great communication tools that you can use to help people through the course of the year. Um, there are some electronic tools, and there are there's 24-hour advocacy and a whole host of other tools that you can use to make sure that people know, employees know, that when something happens to them, they know what to do and who to call. Right. And then just refine and optimize and make sure that you keep using the most appropriate tool. I mean, tools are just tools, right? There's hammers, nails, screwdrivers, saws. You use the right tool at the right time to get the right result. I would argue that care is the same way. If it's the right diagnosis at the right place with the right provider at the right time, it's generally the right price. True. So that's what we do. We help yeah, people on yeah. that journey, getting from a place where they have no idea what's going on until they understand what the drivers are and how they're going to contain that and how to make it work from them. Because really, employers are not in the health insurance business, right? Correct. They don't want to be in the health insurance business. They want to grow their businesses. So get control of this item and get on with growing your business and doing what you want to do in your own area of brilliance. Yeah, that's 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 very so. I mean, even even for myself, every year I go through this, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's like it's like it's like I barely I barely use this at all, but at the same time, I understand insurances for the things that we don't plan. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but like, but what do I do? I mean, do I raise the deductible to lower the premium? And, and I spent this much money last year for something I didn't even scratch the surface of. And should I lower that? And what are my increased liabilities and what's actually covered? And if I do decide to use more of this and routine maintenance, am I going to try and submit it and then find out that everything I'm trying to submit it for isn't covered? And then, and then, you know, because I've, I've had experience with insurances. Uh, I think it was, I think it might have mm -hmm. actually been, um, I think it might have been like a, like a, like an apartment insurance or something like that, where I tried to use it three times and all three times he said, oh, we don't cover that. And it got to where I'm saying, well, what the hell do I have this insurance for if you never damn cover anything? I completely understand the frustration. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, and, and like, and like one time, because I, I have insurance for my cats, and one of my cats uh, fell off the counter and and hurt her paw, so I had to take her to Aww. to the vet. Uh, it turned it turned out that uh, she just had a little boo boo and it healed very quickly. But you don't know. I mean, all of a sudden your cat's limping and meowing at you. 
Uh, It's like they can't speak your language, so you have to have a professional check them out. So I'm taking her there on an emergency basis because she fell off the counter. She's limping and meowing, and uh, they have to do a full exam on her uh, to determine can she, you know, is anything broken here? And Mm -hmm. my insurance company said, well, well, they didn't actually, like, uh, do anything. They just checked her, so we don't count that. You have to pay for it. Okay, so what are you here for? What do you do? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that experience once or twice before in my life. Yeah. Where yeah, I imagine, I imagine that happens to people, too. It, it does happen to people, too. I've had that happen with my dog also, by the way. Yeah. I have a rather large Labrador who occasionally runs into some things she should not. Yeah, right. So, well, people aren't that different. The only thing about people is they can do, they can talk to you and tell you what they think is wrong. Yeah. So you have a little better advantage there. But I would, I would encourage people to communicate with their employees that the emergency room is the most expensive place to get care. So decide if you do you need to go to the emergency room. If your femur's sticking out your leg or you think you're having a heart attack, you need to go to the emergency room. If you're not feeling that well, if you have the flu, if you have a cold, if you have just cut yourself marginally and you're not bleeding to death, maybe you could go to an urgent care center. Not only will you right. save yourself time and money, you will save your plan a significant amount of money. And I hear a lot, well, the insurance will pay for it. Yeah, the insurance will pay for it. You know who really pays for insurance? I when your employer. the consumer ultimately pays for it, or the employer pays for it. Exactly. Well, both of them, because they yeah, normally see what I mean? share see, the cost. See, see what I mean? It's, it's so confusing. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I remember growing up uh, – I mean, to date myself, uh, this would have been about 30 years ago. And I don't know how this happened, but I must have bumped into something. I was carrying my favorite glass mug. I don't know how this happened. As I said, I must have bumped into something. But next thing I knew, I looked down, and I saw that the mug was broken in my hand, and I had a cut going around three-fourths of the pinky finger on my right hand. So Mm -hmm. what did we do? We uh, put some Band-Aids on that thing, uh, got a Popsicle stick to use the splint, Tied that thing up, and in about a week it was healed. <laughs> now I remember. Now I I remember. I remember later that night, uh, my parents like freaking out and spreading that they were going to take me to an emergency room. It's like no, the, it's like no, I'm not going to your emergency room. Uh, the, the, the finger actually works. I checked it. It wiggles just fine. Uh, it just has a big cut on it. It will be okay in five days. Uh, I'm not going to have stitches put in, mostly because I was afraid of the needle, truth be told. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and I look at that today, you can still see the scar that goes around that finger, right, the base of it, and I think of that like a battle scar, because I, I got that doing some sort of adventure. I don't know what, but the thing is, even with things like that, it raises the question, that didn't need an emergency room. Uh, even with my limited medical knowledge, I was able to tell that was just a bad cut. That's all it was. The finger worked, it w- you know, and it still works fine. I mean, there's people who you know who are professional boxers and such who have fingers messed up just because they or hit somebody's up. nose the wrong way, and you don't see them running to emergency rooms over it. And what they'll do is they'll hold out their hands and they'll show all the little tricks their fingers can do now. 
and they still managed to get uh-huh. through life. Now, I mean, uh, now in those days, they didn't have urgent care. So you raise a very good point, and I think there's still a lot of people who aren't aware that there isn't urgent care there. And we also, with many health care plans, have telemedicine or Skype medicine because, you know, if you, if you have strep throat, you know you have strep throat. And when you can go to a doctor's office and sit there for 45 minutes for them to come in and breeze around you and say, oh, strep throat, right? And they scribble something on a pad and just, you know, send you off. So I get a sinus infection at least once a year. And yeah. I am a grown person, and I understand what a sinus infection is. I no longer go to the doctor. I also have telehealth. And right. I call in, and I say, these are my symptoms. This is what I have. I need my blah, blah medication. And they're like, oh, sure. And they call it in. Telehealth is one of the most underutilized resources available in a health plan. Now, I like to call, I like a separate vendor from the traditional health plan. I like an outside party um, running the telemedicine plan. Because then all of the, because then all of those claims are pulled out of your health plan. So a typical a typical telehealth cost is negligible. It's a small per employee per month cost. And depending right. on who the provider is, it'll be a little bit more, a little bit less. When your employee engages with telehealth, that visit, office visit, urgent care visit, however it's billed, those claims never hit your health plan. And if your employee is using uh, telehealth, they're probably, they may call at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I have a sinus infection, I need help. Or they may right. call later in the evening or the middle of the night or whatever, but they're calling from their home. They will be advised appropriately if they can wait until the morning or just getting a prescription called in, or maybe they do, in fact, need to go to the emergency room. But there's, no, there's not as much lost productivity. So there's been some research right. done, and the average telehealth visit will save an employer $236 in claim costs and, lo- and lost productivity. You know you know what I'm thinking of for some reason? I'm thinking of that scene from the movie Wall Street when, um, when, uh, when, the, when the guy that Charlie Sheen played meets Gordon Gecko for the first time. And Gecko's yep. in his office. He's having all these phone calls with all the brokers. And while it's going on, he puts – the blood pressure cuff on him and pushes a button and then gets a readout of all of his vital signs while he's smoking a cigarette, uh, getting ready to rip somebody's head off. And he says, this saves me one trip to the doctor. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of a facetious example, but it's kind of the same thing. Uh, he was able to check his blood pressure every day to make sure he wasn't about to keel over. And especially in a high, you know, in a high stress environment, like he was, was important. That his, that, his, that his heart worked. And imagine if he had to go to a doctor every time he fell every a little day. off and, 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 and what two hours would cost someone like Gordon Gecko, where he could have a machine mm-hmm. in his office, and as long as somebody taught him what, how to read the numbers, he could know within five seconds fine. while he kept doing his thing whether he was fine or whether he actually needed to go to a doctor's office. Exactly. But in order to make sure that telehealth gets used – you need to make sure that employees understand how to use it. So you go back to that communicating with your employees and how important right. that is. So okay, that's so such a really to, important piece. So you, so you actually have, 
So you actually have to do employee training. Because I remember this one company I worked for so many years ago, uh, they got religion and got an employee handbook. And our training consisted of the vice president of the company just flipped through the book and read off the names of each of the chapters and said, go read this. You're responsible for it. So, I mean, we actually have to take the time to explain to them how telemedicine works and and the reason why telemedicine is so important, how it makes it convenient for the employee, and how it's a great benefit that is so underutilized. And here's some resources to help you utilize it because it's going to save us $228 for every medical incident that it's used for, which can translate into raises, bonuses, and new opportunities for you. I mean, you have to tell them stuff like that? You do, but I would argue that you, the employer, <laughs> probably shouldn't be doing that. Okay. Who so there, be doing it? I, there are, well, there are communication tools that you can in, that you can invest in, and that some advisors provide to help you talk to employees or engage employees on a regular basis. And I would argue right. that that's the way that that should happen. Just like you send a newsletter, there are some other tools, interactive gamification type types of tools that will keep employees engaged and communicate what's going on in the health plan, what they should be on the lookout for, and a, a whole host of other things. You know, it's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Gee, we're having a snow day next week. Um, we just had open enrollment. Do you know what your deductible is? The first 10 people that answer correctly get a surprise gift. You know, whatever. Things like right. that that engage people. And that doesn't take a lot of effort on the part of the employer. You know, these things generally come out of the HR department, and HR departments are pretty understaffed and overworked for the most part. True, um, true. So anything that you can do to eliminate some some work from the HR staff, I think, is valuable. I have, and you don't want somebody in coming in. I have, and... two friends, I have two friends in business who are human resource consultants who specialize in providing outsourced human resource services, and they are profiting hugely from the trend of outsourcing more and more of the HR. Well, it's not a profit center, and it's not something that businesses right. internally often, you know, small and mid-sized businesses have a particular challenge in this area. You know, a, a well, True. a well-versed HR professional is a fairly expensive proposition. So sometimes employers are better versed in in outsourcing that. True. You get better outcomes in I'm a number you. of areas. I'm with you 100. Yeah. percent So, so, so going forward here. Uh, what we, we've already touched on what you can, you know, some of the changes you can make to the benefits that you offer so that you have uh, a cost savings and make people aware of underutilized resources. But overall, what can we do to shift the current plan that you offer to focus on outcomes and define what that means to focus on outcomes? Outcomes versus what, just so that we're clear? Sure. Um, I'm going to use diabetes as an example because that's a, a big problem where I live in South Texas. So we have a, right. a very significant population with metabolic syndrome and diabetes. Um, it scares people sometimes, and by people I mean health insurance companies and underwriters, um, people like that, and, and employers too sometimes. Oh, diabetes, it's very expensive, whatever. If a diabetic person or a person with metabolic syndrome is taking the appropriate medication, and appropriate is the key word there, and they're getting annual checkups, and they're getting their teeth cleaned, and they're getting their eyes checked, they cost a little bit. They might cost a couple of thousand dollars a year in, in claims cost. 
Right. But that's probably all they cost. Whereas if you have an uncontrolled diabetic person who is not taking appropriate medication for whatever reason, and there are a host of reasons as to why people don't take their medication. They can't afford it. They don't want to. It doesn't make them feel good. Um, they don't have transportation Needles. to get their medication, whatever it is. Um, Needles. That person, Needles. 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 You know, there, whatever it yeah, is, tri- right? Tri- so there's a hundred. Trypanophobia is so... Trypanophobia is so real that folks will debate whether they should just die. I, I completely I, – I get that. Yeah. But they're, they're, uh-huh. you need somebody to help somebody through any of those situations, right? So if, if that yeah. person – if you have an employee who isn't taking their medication and, you know, a lot of me- a diabetes medication is oral. It's not necessarily even insulin, you know, needle-driven. So – right. But for whatever reason, they're not taking their medication, they're not getting their check, their checkups, that person is much more likely to end up in the emergency room and cost you thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. So it is right. in your economic interest, not just your moral interest, to make sure that that person has care. And a five thousand dollar deductible HSA plan for somebody that makes twenty or thirty or fifty thousand dollars a year isn't going to ensure that that person has care. So you need to get your plan to a place where the diabetic person or whoever your your ongoing illnesses are can make sure that they can afford their care, they're getting care, and they're getting quality care. And that's possible right. without a lot of effort on, on the on the part of the employer, him or herself. Yeah. Okay. All right. So with all with all that, um, what can we do? And and again, now we're asking now because the the conversational nature of our of our interview here, I'm finding that we've actually already touched on some of the things, but it's great to be able to bring it together. Is what can we do to find all the hidden cost drivers in healthcare? And we we discussed earlier at length that cost is really the biggest issue. Yes. So you need data, right? You need to know what is happening health-wise with your population. You don't necessarily need to know who, you just need to know what. So rule regulations are different, you know, the laws are different in every state, um, but if you're an employer of over 100 lives, make sure to get your data. You want a claims report and you want as much detail as you get, and depending on who your insurance company is, that'll be more or less. You want to know what right. prescriptions you, you have been filled, and depending on your size, that you will get more or less or none of that. And you want to make sure that your contracts have fiduciary responsibility to you. What many employers don't realize is that health and welfare plans, health insurance, have follow the same rules as 401k plans with regard to employee contributions. So if your employee decides that you're not spending their money wisely, they can go talk to the Department of Labor, and the Department of Labor can come to your office and say, hi, what are you doing with those with those contributions that you're taking from your employee's paycheck? So you uh-huh. want to make sure that your all of your providers have fiduciary responsibility to you. I just reviewed a contract for a mid-sized employer with a traditional health insurance company. And it very clearly stated in the contract that the employer has fiduciary responsibility for the plan. And that's accurate. It is correct. The employer has fiduciary responsibility for the plan. It then went on to say that all cost 
network discounts, pharmacy pricing was proprietary information. Those two statements are in direct conflict. If you are paying the bill, you need to know what you're paying. And your provider right. should give you that. And if they don't, you should go find another provider. I would certainly say so. So yeah. I, I, so, uh... I, I've, yeah, I've looked at other contracts where the rebates go, the pharmacy rebates go to the insurance company or to the TPA, not back to the employer. And the response I often get in return it, when I say, well, why is this and what is this? is, well, we, we give an admin credit for that to the employer. Well, that's fine. That Admin credits are very nice, but they're not passing the full rebate or discount back to the employer. It's the employer's money or the employer and the employee's money. And never mind the copay. That's a completely separate issue. So those are the two things that are most important. They're kind of boring, but they're really important. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, now, now, with all this, how can we use the plan to drive employee engagement? I think you're going to have something uh, pretty important to share with us on this, and I may have a couple follow-up questions depending on what you say here. So go ahead. Sure. So the, the war for talent is has been heated up for a long time. It's not even heating up, right? You, In order to make your business as productive and successful as possible, you need talented and engaged employees. You do not need have you don't want employees that are so stressed out because of a medical condition, either because of the condition itself or the financial implication of that, that they're not functioning well on their job. You don't want them going somewhere else for what they think are better benefits. And um, something like 68% of employees will change a job for a better benefits package and a small yeah. difference in salary. So you don't want that to happen to you, particularly for the employees that you value most. So if you can get your plan under control and drive some strategies to even possibly get 100% coverage for your employees, you want to do that. It is in your financial best interest to do it. Correct. It costs right. less, it helps you keep your employees, and your employees become more valuable to you, more, more loyal to you, actually. Oh, I'm with you all the way. So one of the things I, I, I've been wanting to ask here for a while now is we discussed earlier that there are things like telemedicine we can make available or Skype medicine, as it's sometimes called, depending mm -hmm. on, the, on the communication venue and how that's a huge cost savings, especially when – here's how I'm looking at it, for instance. Uh, let's say somebody is having you – know, somebody who's working for me has – they're, and they're an employee, and I'm obligated to give them insurance benefits, uh, they have a really sore throat. Now, they know it could be something like a bad cold or strep or something like that, and they also know that, uh, that uh, they could take a half day off away from my company to go sit in the doctor's office for three hours to finally have the doctor breathe by, ask them one and a half questions, magically know the answer, give them a script that they spend another two hours to go pick up, and then mm -hmm. we basically lost an entire day of productivity. Well, what if? Correct. What if that person uh, had a sore throat, but otherwise thought they could handle a day of work? Uh, they, they, they don't. They, they, they get to the office first thing in the morning. They can take ten minutes to call their telemedicine provider. Uh, they can get mm -hmm. told uh, what their prescription is. 
They can order their prescription. And with all of these instant delivery services we have out there, they can have their prescription delivered to the office by 10 a.m. Meanwhile, I've lost 15 minutes of productivity just that 15 minutes for them to make the phone call. You've lost 15 minutes of productivity and gained some loyalty because they didn't have to go anywhere exactly. and you've arranged for their medication to be delivered. Exactly. As opposed to the entire day I would have effectively lost if yep. they had to go sit in a doctor's office somewhere. Absolutely. So, there, so that's, that's, that's one question. It's helping people understand the benefits. And, you know, in many cases – uh, we have people you know, that they have young children, they have two income families or single parents, one income families or single parents, two income families. And when the heck are they going to get to a doctor with all that going on? They're not. Or they're going to go then, to the emergency then, and, room at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. yeah. And then and in this situation, they really need, yeah, in this situation, they don't really need to go to a doctor with what you're providing them. And they may not even be aware of that. Like when I when I when I uh, reevaluated my benefits last December, I was shocked in a pleasant way to discover the the extent to which I had telemedical coverage. Like, wow! And telemedicine is wonder. It is Whoa, not the be all and the end all. Yep, there no, is no one tool. But it is wonderful for the the small stuff that needs to be taken care of. And you don't want to wait. And, you know, honestly, there is a shortage of primary – there is a significant shortage of primary care physicians in the United States. So whatever you can do to get out of the primary care physician's office is helpful. Because then the people that need to be there, annual checkup is important, yes. Yeah. All right. So are you seeing any employers out there? You know, they may give the – they may give the, uh, the the two weeks of vacation and the five sick days and the two personal days, or they may be just on a straight PTO system, what have you. Do you see any uh, you see any uh, companies out there saying, you know what? In addition to um, this other time you get off, we give you an extra day, but there's a catch. This is the day that you use to get your annual checkup, and you have to bring a doctor's note. We're giving you an extra day to do this. Because we're dedicated to you being healthy. Have you seen any companies do that? Because that would be really cool. I think that would be wonderful. But I I haven't seen that specific example. What I have seen is employers that um, if the employee gets an annual physical and brings them proof of the annual physical, they will give a significant reduction in the um, weekly premium deduction for, for the health insurance. Right. I've seen that at a number of employers, and, and that is very well, helpful as well yeah. because that goes across well, the whole that, family. Well, that's fine too. But you know, going back to what we understand is, you know, with the you know one of the one of the guiding principles of the Affordable Care Act was an increase in emphasis on preventive medicine because we all know that Absolutely. preventive medicine, you know, preventive medicine, uh, stops a lot of things before they even get started. So, yeah, if I if I or, or when I get to a situation at one point where I have actual employees rather than contractors, and I have enough of them that I'm obligated to provide the benefits or I'm in a place to provide the benefits, I as an employer would think, yeah, you know what? Um, If I give everybody one day a year an additional day off, but they have to use it to Mm -hmm. get an annual checkup, and they have to bring a note from the doctor that says that Allison was here for her annual checkup in order for that to count as as a paid day, then... I would be probably saving a lot of sick days because we'd be nipping things in the bud or things that 
kind of linger, things that kind of linger that they'd deal with whenever they went to the doctor would get caught and dealt with rather than waiting until it becomes an emergency issue and costing me a fortune. Yeah, and I would also like to, I like to bring the doctor to the employer. Yeah, bring that the doctor to the employer. Very effective. It's probably more cost effective for you to bring the doctor to the employer than it is for you to give everybody a day off. Okay, uh, explain how that works. Sure. So uh, there are doctors that will contract with you as the employer, and they will see all of your employees. And you know, a primary care physician can accommodate probably about 80% of, of the needs that a, a, a person would have in the course of the year. Um, right. So if you contract with that's it's called direct primary care. You contract with a direct primary care physician, they'll see your your employees as they need to be seen, usually without a copay or if it may be a small copay, depending on on where you're located, ten or fifteen dollars. Right. They can normally get in the same day. Um, they that those physicians only take so many patients, so waiting rooms aren't crowded and you don't have to wait too long and you can spend some time with your physician. But those physicians will also come on site and um, they can do health screenings. They can, you know, check people, you know, hey, the doctor's here. Anybody got a flu? Anybody had a cold? People bring their kids, you know, whatever it is. And I would argue that that's a more cost-effective way to achieve that goal. And then people have a medical home. Yeah. Did you just say that they could also have their kids checked out at the same time? Like, hey, uh, you know, today daddy's – Doctor is coming to the office. Can you can can we bring the kids too and have them checked while we're at it? Mm-hmm. Did you just say that? I did. Oh wow! I've never heard of that. It, it, direct primary care is a wonderful thing um, for many employers. It doesn't fit everywhere. It is a tool. You know, not every tool fits in every place. But direct primary care can be incredibly helpful in helping you contain your costs and keep your employees healthy. Yeah, you know, now and you that can I think cover this, the family. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Well, I mean, in many cases, in many cases, the insurance and the health coverage you're offering to your employees is in, intended to cover their families as well. In fact, now that we have mandates uh, with respect to uh, how long a person can remain covered under a family plan, so that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Now, here's here's another question that that comes up, and I'm so glad that you're open to a few things here because I'm remembering that when I worked for a company once that they had us all take a survey that we could do at our computers, at our desks, uh, of our health. And, you know, I, I checked out on most things, but I did mention that I enjoy a cigar now and then. And uh, the results came back is that basically the way I saw, the way it looked on my screen, and this probably wasn't literally what it said, but the impression was is, yeah, you seem okay, but you're going to, you're going to die. So, Stop smoking the cigars are out. And and they had a little feedback for him, and I wrote back, bite me. Because here's, <laughs> here's, how, here's how I look at it. I don't consume animal products at all. Um, I don't consume alcohol at all. I don't engage in gratuitous or extreme sexual practices. Uh, I don't do daredevil stunts like jumping out of airplanes. And I can go on a list of things. That I do a right that I do that uh, you would think would be green check marks in the positive category. 
So hey, if I if I want my if I want my Ashton VSG once in a while, I'm gonna have it. We all gotta die of something, right? I mean, I mean, it's well, not like it's cigarettes. Die it's not, it's not like it, yeah, it's not like it's it's not like it's cigarettes, and it's not like it's heroin. Well, you know, nuance and online assessments are probably not two phrases you would use in the same sentence. Yeah. So those yeah, things so- are 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 good guideposts but um, not great when you get into the fine detail. So now let's get to my follow-up question, which is let's say that I had somebody working for me and they took a survey and they reported that they, that they like to light up the occasional Cohiba. And that gets reported mm-hmm. to, first of all, as the employer, am I even allowed to know that they said that? So generally, I would advise an employer not to know not to know the name of any particular. I think employers need data, and they need as much data right. as they can get, but they don't necessarily right. need to know who. And most employers will tell you they don't want to know who. Well, yeah, so, and, I, and I can understand that. So we say, okay, we have 18% cigarette smokers. We have 4% cigar smokers. We have... Twenty-three exactly. percent uh, reporting more than five alcoholic drinks in a week. I mean, all kinds of indicators that say, "Well, these are the things we may want to be focused on in terms of what could come up based on uh, the behaviors they're engaging in." For instance, um, exactly, or you know, or 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 in, in areas where uh, marijuana is now legal at the state level, they may report, "Yeah, like a joint." Well, that uh, that actually speaks to both a positive and a negative, depending depending on how you interpret it. So if I Correct. had 75% of my people uh, reporting they smoke marijuana, we're dealing with heavy machinery, yeah, I could have an issue. You have a challenge. Yeah. But if there are people working in customer service, I might say, oh, okay, so my people are going to be all <laughs> mellow and chill while the customers are yelling at them. Shit, I'll, 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 bring, a, I'll bring an ace. I mean, it's all good. <laughs> Well, I'll leave that part to you, but I will tell exactly. you that generally in health survey in health surveys and when when a company comes to do biometric screenings or anything like that, um, you, that the data that goes back to the employer is normally disaggregated and de-identified. Okay, that's that's fine. But you said typically um, legally, can an employer say, "Yeah, I want to know who said it." Uh, normally a vendor won't give it to you even if you ask for identified data. There are some okay. HIPAA requirements, and, and, and that is something, right. you know, that you need to get in the weeds of your state. So generally employers don't know, they don't receive data with a name attached to it. Yeah, that's somewhat reassuring. I used to work for a, uh, an insurance company, actually, and uh, we as employees happen to have that coverage, because we work for the company. Uh, yeah, a health insurance company giving its own employees its own product. Gee, never heard of that, right? And uh, there were numerous instances where somebody uh, wanted to know when somebody else's birthday was. They could throw them a surprise birthday party. Or they wanted to, you know, get a little bit of information about somebody so they could, uh, you know, they could tease them a little bit so they'd look them up in the in the, in the the consult system and look at their medical records. And they get their asses fired oh. for them on the spot. They should have their asses fired for it on the spot. Yeah, yeah. There, there were people. There were people actually terminated because they wanted to throw their colleague a surprise birthday party and didn't know when the birthday was. 
they looked it up in the system and saw that mm-hmm. person's birthday because they had access to it, and that got flagged because uh, because something in their algorithm said this person looked Shouldn't up this here. person's medical record. But why did they do that? And then mm-hmm. that prompted a question. And in one case, they said, the one case, the person said, "Oh, guys, how did you know it was my birthday?" And the moron said, "Well, I looked you up in the consult system." And the person whose surprise party it was reported that person because it was an invasion of their privacy. So yeah, they got well. The it is an invasion of their privacy. Fired, and I thought it was, and I thought it was cool that they did it because that's just wrong. That is completely wrong. Yeah, so and I want to go be through very this, careful this, with data. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to go through this a little bit because I wasn't quite clear about it uh, and where we stand in 2019, 2020, and beyond. And, I, I mean, the HIPAA thing I think is very important because I can see people being reluctant to fill out surveys uh, about their health or their practices. Or they may yeah, not tell their doctor everything because they're afraid the doctor is going to tell the employer and the employer is going right. to find some backdoor excuse to get rid of them. Yeah, no, that, you know, there should be a, you know, a Chinese wall there. And, and, you know, we do health surveys for employees all the time, you know, health questionnaires for employees all the time in the 100 life space because you can't get any data otherwise. And we do those electronically. So we send out, we use an online enrollment platform for that. We send out the link and have them complete the surveys, and it stays in the platform, and then when, Everybody has completed their surveys. We batch those to the insurance company securely, you know, using secure files so that the employer never sees those. Now, people don't like to fill out those forms and they complain, but they never are seen by the employer. And I think that that is a level of comfort where you're going to get more accurate information. Right. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I was a little bit ambiguous. It's like, because I was thinking, all right, so what if I fill out some health survey as somebody's employee and I say, yeah, I like uh, I like to fire up a Cohiba in the evening with uh, with uh, with a short uh, with a short uh, finger of scotch or something like that. And then uh, that goes to my employer, and they say, well, we don't like we don't support this 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 very evil thing that you're doing, uh, and we're going <laughs> to fire you for it. Or oh, your 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 risk for heart attack just went up twenty percent, so we're going to backdoor you out so that uh, we don't have to cover it if it happens. Yeah, no, that that data should never go back to the employer. Okay, and a reputable good, good, good. company will not allow it to do so. Right. I would say, I would say, because I was just thinking to myself, I mean, if a company would actually spy on me like that, because I remember one employer, one employer I worked for um, would spy on their employees. Like if an employee called off sick, they would call that employee at home once an hour. And they'd, oh they'd, like, they'd like make they would. It wasn't actually an official policy to do that, but the supervisors were made to understand that they were to call that employee at home, just coming up with all kinds of questions about the work that needed to be done, or just find something about maybe the way the person configured their voicemail and nitpick about it, just something so they could be in contact with that employee every hour. And the reason was because so they were paranoid. So nobody got time to get better. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, even if you're going to a doctor, and then, uh, and then I remember one time I had to go to a dentist, and my employer said, well, "What's the name of your dentist?" And I felt extremely uncomfortable with that question. Now let I me now let me that. tell you why. Let me tell you why the employer did it. Um, it's because they were trying to find out if their employees were interviewing with the competition, 
which they would fire somebody for immediately. And the fact was is uh, when I, when uh, my my supervisor did ask me to name my dentist, the fact was I was lying because I had an I had an interview with the competition. I still felt it was none of her business, <laughs> and I thought her question was intrusive. So there's a bigger problem than you know inquiring about the much dentist. bigger problem in that case. But let's not get into that. What I would like to get into is the fact that we are at the top of the hour, and this has been an incredible conversation. And I know that you have a little something for our listeners, and I wanted to turn this over to you to share with us. Yes, I have an ebook and a um, video that talks a little bit more about how the tools work together. And I'm always happy to um, talk to people. If they have some questions, there will be a link on there. They're welcome to schedule some time on my calendar, 10 or 15 minutes, and I'll be happy to answer some questions and maybe help people get in the right direction. Yep, I believe that's at allisondepauli.com forward slash BCR, if I remember correctly. It absolutely is. All right, and that's spelled, and, for, and folks, just in, uh, so you understand, that's Allison with two L's, and the surname is spelled D-E-P-A-O-L-I, and pronounced the Polly. So just yeah. so you understand that. You can also check out Allison's profile at businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and you'll see those links there as well. So, Allison, I want to thank you so much for a very fun – believe it or not, this was a lot of fun. I was a little bit worried well, going glad. into this one because this is an area that's been kind of ambiguous to me because it's not something I've needed to do with my company, uh, or either of my companies, rather. And when we talk about health care and regulations, eh, people start to get all scared and freaked out. But I think we've had a, you know, a joyous time here, and we've managed to – break some of this down in a way that makes it understandable or at least gives people a good starting point for beginning to properly understand it in a way that's not intimidating. I hope so. I really enjoyed it, and thank you for having me. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.